0: So Ayushi, where are you right now? Funny story, actually, I'm in India right now. Everything happened super quickly, but here I am in quarantine for the next 14 days. And I have actually come back home to a very pleasant surprise. I'm waking up to birdsong every single morning. It's so quiet here right now because there is no human disturbance or any traffic so it's this very unusual sound that i from like a city haven't heard very often and everyone on social media especially those from cities at least have been talking about this and mumbai is no exception
1: yes while the coronavirus obviously causes the devastating loss of many lives it has also changed the way we live and what the world looks like at the moment. Who countries are locked down and people who are able to are working from home and streets are nearly empty. Air pollution levels are at record low and nature, nature is coming back into cities.
0: Hello and welcome to Two Minutes to Midnight, a global podcast for a global problem. My name is Ayoshi Shah. And I'm Julia Brunner. And we are your
1: hosts. In today's episode, we speak to Jonathan Watts, The Guardian's global environment editor. To put it in his own words, his job is covering a lot of grim stuff he wishes wasn't happening and interviewing a lot of great people trying to stop it. Jonathan has been a reporter for a newspaper for over 24 years. And as of late, he's extensively covering the impact of Corona lockdowns on the climate. From pandas mating in China to reduced air pollution levels in India. A central theme to his articles is that whether this pandemic is good or bad for the environment depends not on the virus, but on humanity. In this episode, Jonathan gives us the real picture of where we stand right now. I usually talk to him about the parallels between the coronavirus pandemic and the climate crisis as well as what happens next, environmentally at least.
0: This episode was recorded and edited over two continents and three countries, Germany, UK and India. And the interview was recorded on Zoom. So please bear with us in terms of any sound quality issues. Hello and thank you so much for joining us today, Jonathan. Firstly, to quote something that you said um, in one of your articles, you said that there was comedy in our tragedy, we are laughing at our own decline, and assuming that nature will be beneficiary. And this is a dangerous misconception, and environmentalists seem to agree. So, what? really is happening with the planet because of the lockdowns right now what really is the real picture
2: i I think we're at a very critical moment we've been at a critical moment for many many years but this pandemic is taking everything to extremes both the possibilities and the problems uh, that we could face so um let's start with the the, let's start on the on the upside on the possibilities um in industrial nations where nature has been on the retreat for hundreds of years we're seeing a partial recovery uh some more breathing space for what little nature is left because there are fewer cars there's less pollution because there are fewer cars there's less animals dying from roadkill um obviously there's less emissions, uh, the air quality is improved. Um for the first time the carbon emissions of the world, it was announced today, uh are likely to fall this year, uh, on a level that would take us roughly towards where we need to be by 2030 uh to be to have any chance of reaching the 1.5 celsius target global warming that's considered somewhat safe it's not safe nothing safe but it's much safer than two degrees or three degrees
0: so is that a reason or is that enough reason to celebrate um, or rejoice at least those little things that are happening with the environment and consider them silver linings in this sad tragedy
2: um, you might think Uh, environmentalists are celebrating uh, that that things are going in the right direction but that's not the case. Um, Everybody can enjoy fresh air, everybody can enjoy a a return of nature Um, but there's two reasons why we're not celebrating. Uh, The first one is of course that there's incredible suffering uh, taking place among many people, a lot of worry Deaths health concerns, anxiety, stress, lost jobs um, this is not sustainable you can 't do anything that involves this much pain and expect it to continue so this is temporary, and this isn 't the solution, and no environmentalist wants this to be the solution it 's given us a glimpse of how different things can be, but this isn 't a model that that can continue um, it 's it's too difficult and too painful um, so I think the and the and the other reason is that um the the crisis has affected nature different differently depending on whether a country is very developed or whether it's relatively underdeveloped
0: yeah you know i read about that um in one of your articles and in a couple of other articles as well you know that people have been writing about and i was really surprised because um you know with all the positive talk about um, uh, dolphins and Venice and and levels of air pollution in india going um, lower um it didn't it didn't occur to me you know this this sort of like disparity or this gap between the developed and uh, the underdeveloped or the developing countries and how um they're reacting differently to the good and the bad that has come out of this pandemic, environmentally at least.
2: So although countries like Britain, you can see some improvements in nature. In countries like Brazil, in, the, in, in East Africa, parts of Asia, um, and certainly on the oceans, um, there's real concerns that actually nature is losing its protections that there, there is abundant nature there. There's a lot of people who want to exploit it as quickly as possible with no regulations, no controls, no concerns about uh, endangered wildlife, habitats. And they've been held somewhat in check by monitoring agencies, environmental groups, uh, NGOs, and so on, um, even to a degree tourism. Uh, it, but what we're seeing with the pandemic and the lockdown, is that authorities are scaling back on monitoring and surveillance. And this has opened the door for even more reckless um, exploitation of these resources. So, um, And and along with that, even in sort of wealthy countries, particularly in the US, but everywhere really, what you're seeing and what you always see in a crisis is that Commercial interests use it to encourage governments to roll back regulations. Those regulations, they will say regulations are terrible. It's red tape. It's bureaucracy. It's obstruction. It's slowing down economic growth. But those regulations are actually things that are protecting our health and nature uh, to our, our, our natural life support systems. Um, and they're rolling. They're, they're encouraging governments now to roll them back in the name of stimulating the economy, and we're seeing that in, for example, a lot of fishing ships now are going out without any uh, observers. So the, the the fishing captains can take whatever they want, um, and, and like all controls are off. Um, and you're seeing it in the Amazon and so forth, as I've said. So, and and you're seeing it in the U.S. where there is much less, much weaker enforcement of environmental regulations, and various lobby groups from fossil fuel industries like oil and gas from aviation are encouraging the government to um, give them big bailouts. So this is a really key moment because on one sense, we can ha- we have a glimpse of a different future. We have an awareness that things can change much more quickly than many of us previously believed possible and yet at the same time there are these old powerful interests often connected to fossil fuel industries that just want to go back to business as usual and they're arguing well you want your jobs you want your nice lifestyle um you have to support us so that we can go back so this it's just it's such a historical moment and it, depending on the day I, I wake up full of hope or full of immense frustration and d- despair um, and I'm sure that's true of many people um, but it's there you know you can see it for the first time which is something I, I hold on to uh, but what we've got to do is find a way to keep it going without this immense suffering without a virus that keeps us inside it actually makes us think oh, I'd like to have this I'd I wouldn't mind working at home a lot more, I don't need to travel as much, I don't need to buy as many things and I want a government that's going to put health and nature above commercial interests.
0: Now, it's really interesting that you bring up and mention government, governments, which are a very important factor in both the pandemic as well as the climate crisis, because obviously the politicians we elect are in a place to make a lot of these decisions that impact issues like these.
2: Uh, my concern is that we need, we, we, we need this moment to have a new form of democracy as well, because what we're seeing already, even before the pandemic, is, is, is uh, incredible flaws in democracy. I don't think democracy goes far enough. It, it just represents uh, a certain age group um, on a four-year scale. And what we need is a democracy that represents other future generations, that represents other species, and that goes beyond a four-year scale. Uh, and what we're also seeing now in the pandemic is that we need some way of having political representation and political debate while we're at home we can't protest in the streets Um, it's difficult to go voting Uh, uh, mps um are, are doing a lot of work virtually but we we need to modernize the whole political structure so that we can we can function at home we don't need to run around all over the place so I think that's been illustrated, too, because the danger is, while we're all locked indoors and while important international conferences like the, the, this year's COP, Climate Change Conference by the UN, they've all been postponed. But meanwhile, all these lobbyists for the oil and gas industry and other big industries, they're all kind of meeting politicians and everything's being decided literally behind closed doors. Uh, And with us behind our own closed doors, too. So there's like this double layer of uh, distance between us and where the decisions are. So I think uh, all those things have really become apparent um, as a result of this pandemic. So we're seeing things in a way we didn't see them before.
0: We're hearing birds out of our window and getting used to this beautiful sound of nature, better air, etc. So, Jonathan, when you say that we're starting to see uh, things differently, would you also agree or say that the pandemic has changed the definition of normal for us, you know, uh, in terms of nature and environment at least?
2: Uh, I think it absolutely does. Yes, it shows us, in a sense, that what we have been assuming was normal was extremely unhealthy. Uh, that it left us very vulnerable, that our economy was much weaker than we thought, that we were capable of more change than we realized, that in some ways um, we are better off, in terms of air quality at least, by changing behavior. Um, So yes, yes, I do think it's changed our understanding of change. We can see things are possible that we didn't know were possible before.
0: That is really interesting and really, really hopeful as well. But what happens next is really important as well, right? Um, like you said, we're looking at two completely different possibilities. So back to another one of your articles, you said that long-term political changes and decisions um you know like are going to severely impact the future that we have after the pandemic so um, especially considering the fact that uh, many of you know the countries in the world right now are ruled by right-wing governments uh, that are known to not uh, consider um, climate change or you know the deteriorating nature um, of our planet as a priority issue uh, so what are the political changes that we need and how do we sort of like balance it out with everything that's going on politically?
2: Yes, that's very true. Um, I think it's not about the decisions taken after. That's, I think a lot of people are making that assumption that, that we'll change afterwards uh, because we've seen something different and we'll change afterwards. Yes, to a degree that's true. But a lot of the really big decisions on spending are being taken right now. And that's why I think everybody's got to be involved immediately. Um, There will be some time after yes, but right now, already trillions of dollars of spending have been committed by governments across the world, mostly for old industries. Um, And if, if that continues, we will go back to the way things were before uh including the bad things um but and and this is what happened in the financial crisis of 2008 2009 when you know the economy went down um emissions went down at the same time but because of all the stimulus the economic stimulus packages at that time were old-fashioned economic stimulus packages which It's always about pouring concrete. It's always about um, industry. Um, These packages, yeah, it just meant that emissions actually went higher afterwards and continue to grow higher. What is needed this time is, yes, huge amounts of money need to be spent so that all the people who've lost jobs can have new jobs, uh, so that the economy recovers, so that lifestyles are maintained at a good level. Um, but we really need a rethink of our priorities. Um, We obviously, it's been shown we need to invest a lot more in healthcare and that we need to reward people in a lot of industries that were considered kind of humdrum and ordinary and low-paid. And we're we're now realising just how important all the public transport workers are, as all the hospital workers are, all the Mm -hmm. teachers and doctors and shop workers are, and that we can actually... We can actually do without billionaire or millionaire footballers without any real problem but if our shops are closed or our posts don't arrive then we're in trouble so appreciating that uh, is going to be important and then um, there's this huge battle already underway about making sure that the new spending goes towards renewable energies that it is nature-based solutions that it's uh, rewilding nature um, and that that it's about creating jobs the right way rather than just going backwards because that would just lead to another boom and another bust.
0: It's so true. Uh, you did draw parallels between these two issues, right? Um, climate change and coronavirus, um, which obviously is the focus for today's conversation as well, uh, you know, considering the way we're dealing with both of these issues. And uh, Two things that really struck out for me were in your articles were, A, the fact that you mentioned that delay is deadly, and second, you spoke about risk division and uh, the way we handle risk-taking and distribution of risk, especially politicians, in both the cases. So could you elaborate on that, please?
2: Sure. Well, I I think there's a lot of crossover uh, between... um, the coronavirus crisis and the climate crisis uh, in terms of risk and in terms of um uh, yeah in, in it, mainly in terms of risk and delay and what we've seen with the pandemic is that every day literally makes a difference of thousands of lives because this this has grown exponentially if you let it Continue for even one or two more days, growing that quickly. That's 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 potentially doubling. Um, and when you look at the international comparisons, the countries that have done worse by far in terms of deaths are the US and the UK, and increasingly um, Brazil, although it started later, is getting closer. Um, And these are the countries where leaders are most inclined just to leave things to market forces, to survival of the fittest, to this sort of Darwinian view of economics that the invisible hand of the market will will fix things and governments shouldn't really intervene because that's, government should rule but not govern. Um, And that's why they sort of played down the risks, said everything's under control dilly-dallied about taking action, uh, was very reluctant to increase spending when it was necessary and have the necessary protective equipment, ventilators, and so forth. And that they played with this idea of herd immunity. In fact, I think they never really completely gave it up. These are the countries that delayed the longest taking lockdown actions. They did it in the end, and they were forced to, by public opinion, don't think they wanted to do it. Public opinion and scientific opinion, um, but they did it late because it was went against their ideological instincts. Um, and as a result, that's why the US is by far the worst in the world, um, and the US, the UK is, is close to the worst in Europe. Um, and Brazil is heading towards a very horrible place right now, still climbing a number of deaths there.
0: Right. And while it is not the same, you know, there are certain parallels in the leadership style of these politicians. So is that where risk division again comes into play?
2: What are the comparisons there? I mean, it, it's it's with, with the climate crisis. Well, when, when you look at risk, it. The thing that strikes me about capitalism and the current kind of capitalism we have, and I think it's important to say, I don't think that early capitalism of like Adam Smith uh, would would have embraced what's happened here. It's almost as if we've got a very distorted, twisted view of capitalism now that is exemplified by people like Trump and Uh, to a lesser degree, but generally the same direction Boris Johnson and and to an extreme degree, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, which is they're totally willing to take risk on behalf of others and completely unwilling to accept responsibilities and take precautions. That's almost a definition of where capitalism is at right now. And in this pandemic, it's been deadly. But in the climate crisis, it's going to be much more deadly. Although that crisis will take longer to hit at least rich people. It's already hitting a lot of poor people in in developing countries. Um, But that crisis, the climate crisis, um, is, again, something that uh, the right in particular and the capitalist right in particular, because it's so close to fossil fuel industries and businesses that are by and large, connected to fossil fuel industries. It's dragged its feet. It's said there's market solutions in the, uh, will appear. It's claimed that technology will fix everything if we just encourage enough entrepreneurship. And as a result, we've had den- delay and denial for more than 30 years. Uh, and this, this is calamitous. You know, it's left younger generation, your generation, my children's generation, uh, carrying the can. You'll be paying the financial costs. You'll be seeing the worst consequences. And it's basically because, just like with COVID, you have a group of leaders whose instincts, trained by ideology and background, are, are, are to take risks, and then what they consider political skill is finding someone else to carry the can at the end of it Um, and I, i think this is this shows just how broken our systems are and the best hope is that this crisis will help people more and more people realize that this isn't working and the kind of leaders we have in running countries right now you know they they come across as these, these big celebrity characters who look, you know, who, who are larger than life on TV. And so we're kind of drawn towards them, even if we hate them, we're drawn towards them, Mm -hmm. but they're absolutely useless at problem solving and being basic decent human beings are looking after one another. So I, I, I think that's where the crossover is in that response to risk risk to human health in the case of coronavirus or risk the whole planet uh, and the climate in 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 terms of global heating and carbon emissions
0: so i've been hearing about how uh you know the climate crisis needs the same pr agency as the coronavirus crisis
2: <laughs> yeah it's well it's I've heard it said that actually biodiversity needs the same advertising agency as the climate crisis because everybody forgets the wildlife biodiversity crisis, even though it's. I think it's even more important or as important
0: Now, you have been a reporter for a really long time. And um, both these stories, you know, whether it is this uh, this terrible, terrible pandemic that we're uh, facing right now and the climate change, you know, the, the, the diseases, the refugees uh, and like, like just the general disasters that climate change does cause and the amount of people it affects. Uh, Now, unfortunately, with both of these stories and with, you know, journalism in general, when a story goes on for a really long time, say months or weeks or years, uh, do you think that data and statistics uh, sort of lose their shock value? And this is not to say, of course, that, you know, these deaths are not important or, um, you know, the, the loss of life is does not deserve sympathy or empathy. But, it's only human, you know, to sort of like start looking at statistics as, um, as inhumane elements. And please do, do correct me if I'm wrong here.
2: Um, there is a danger that, you know, you become numb to, to, to these numbers and to the suffering. And it's also, this is not just you. It's, it's encouraged. This is very political. When you look at how... Organizations and media organizations covered the crisis at uh, the or both crises the, the pandemic and the climate crisis. Uh, the majority are with the government and don't want big change. And when you look at their coverage, they downplay the climate crisis or they hide it away on page 36. And with the pandemic, uh, even though the UK and the US have done Abominably, by just about any measurement. Um, you had Jared Kushner saying yesterday that the U.S. was a model and that it was a huge success. Uh, and you had in the U.K. people saying that we've done, uh, government people saying that, you know, it's it's been a great job.
0: So have there been any um, stories, you know, that have stayed with you or stories that have given you hope perhaps or um, in these crazy stressful times
2: uh, I, I as I've said I can, I can see both sides I, I write both sides I can see this turning out for the better or I can see it turning for the worst and there's a very strong possibility it will turn out for the worst when you look at the leaders we have in power who make decisions about what their instincts are but When you just look at how the energy system is changing and even people inside the oil industry are beginning to realize they're not going to go back, even if they want to go back, even if they get a lot of money to go back, probably will never be exactly the same again. And that they are seeing that renewable energy has been very resilient in this crisis. Oil prices have plunged, oil demand has plunged, coal demand has plunged. Um, the share prices of uh, oil and gas companies have collapsed. We've had oil at the price, at negative prices. I mean, yes. it's been, That's, it's been
1: it's crazy.
2: unimaginable before. But, and some solar and wind companies have suffered a little Incomparably less. And I I read a report yesterday that said that this crisis has probably accelerated the energy transition by 10 years. Now, I I, I don't know the calculations behind that. But I I think you had even the head of the International Energy Agency today, Atibiro, saying uh, that this has shown that wind and solar and renewables generally are the future um, and that's going to happen and that is happening. I think that's something very positive to come out of this as well as you know in countries like Britain, more of an appreciation for nature. I think now the big gap is the developing world and help for the developing world and giving people there a choice so that they don't just have to run down forests and their mangrove swamps and their, their their natural resources um that there's another way of doing things um i think i think that's a big area where the world needs to act
0: what do you say brings me back to something we spoke about earlier the comedy in our tragedy and how we assume that nature benefits from it now unfortunately it always takes like a crisis, you know, whether it's the financial crisis of 2008 or um, this pandemic, for example, for nature to heal and for people to remember what it is like, you know, to to live without that much traffic or that much noise or that much uh, pollution in general. But considering these phrases have happened before, you know, after every major tragedy, I really hope we don't forget the lessons that um, the crisis has given us, you know.
2: Well, it, it will to some degree. We're sort of in the middle of it now. And I, I'm, I'm, I hope to some degree we look back and say, well, that was kind of weird, but hopefully we will take with us the good bits of it and keep them and not just look back on them and go, oh, remember when we had clean air and, <laughs> And, and when people in India can say, oh, you remember when we saw the mountains for the first time? And yes. when you have people in, you know, the, the, the U.S. and elsewhere say, oh, you know, when we used to talk to our families two or three times a week instead of once a month and all this sort of stuff. So
0: and those are going to miss it
2: as well. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I'm, as you said, I've been in journalism for a very, very, very long time. Uh, And so I've seen lots of different crises, lots of catastrophes, um, and something always changes. Uh, And I think the potential for positive change from this is the greatest of any of the crises I've seen before. That doesn't mean we'll take it, but it's really there. It's really, really there if there's enough dynamism and an energy amongst people to force politicians to say no we don't want what we had before we want something better
1: here are the tips from episode nine as always they are of varying intensities depending where you are in your climate journey
0: tip one inform yourself What is your country's government doing environmentally during the lockdown? Tip 2. Instead of buying disposable masks, use a cloth mask. Tip 3. Make a note of all the positive changes that you have had to make during the lockdown. For example, working from home. Try and imbibe as many as possible once these lockdowns are over. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2 Minutes to Midnight.
1: Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 2 Minutes to Midnight Podcast for the latest updates on the show. Do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from.